Greetings! Welcome to Film Gazers, a podcast focusing on the science fiction, horror, fantasy, trinity, and 20th century entertainment. I'm Steph. I'm Jess. We're cousins slash besties. Join us as we reminisce, discuss, and review films from our childhood. All right, all right, all right. Meowdy. Meowdy. Welcome to Friendsgiving. Yes. That is what we're starting. That is what you're listening to. (laughs) (laughs) It is what it is. (laughs) Um, No, like, super important shout-outs, really, uh, this episode. Nothing, like, happening, per se. Mm -hmm. Um, If I can stay awake long enough to finish any project, that would be great. Um, So... That's what's up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. I've been a little tired. <laughs> um, the end of this month, uh, we will have Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion mm-hmm. um, to round out Friendsgiving. Uh, so, yeah, let's just kind of jump into everything. Uh, what you've been up to? What you've been doing? You uh, just got back from a universal trip. I did. Yep. Um, so that was that was fun. Yeah. Noise. 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 Yeah. Theme parks, I mean... I think I'm done with theme parks for a while. Yeah, they can be a little uh, intense. Yeah, I don't like crowds of people. But Harry Potter World, very cool, right? Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, the Hagrid's ride mm-hmm. was amazing. It is. It's one of the best roller coasters, like, ever. But um, not worth the money that I paid. Yeah. <laughs> and then the money that I had to spend whilst <laughs> down there. Because everything, like, really went up in price. Yeah, I can only like, imagine. everything was, like, $20. Yeah. We went, actually, um, when there were still, like, COVID restrictions, pretty heavy. And it was honestly amazing mm-hmm. because you had your own space, you know, and everything. Like, you had to ride everything just by yourself with your partner, you know, essentially. Right. It was a dream. And I think that'll be, I'm like, I think I'm going to end parks on a high note. <laughs> Yeah, and that'll be my last can't memory. Top it. Can't top it. Yeah. <laughs> no, because um, there's several times where I could feel somebody breathing, oh, I hate literally mm-hmm. on my neck. And you're already in Florida and Orlando, and then it's like even more humid, and then they're <laughs> their just, hot breath. Yeah, and I just don't like people that close to me. Mm-mm. I just don't care. I don't for like it. it. <laughs> So other than that, what else have you been uh, watching and doing? I've been um, recouping yeah. from the vacation. Uh, and stress manifests in me by watching TV. So I've been watching a lot lately. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been watching Frasier, old oh. and new. Oh, there you go. Balancing it out. Balancing it out. Oh, I think you would appreciate this, that I had breakfast with um, my husband's uh, grandmother yesterday. Mm-hmm. And she even asked me, she's like, oh, well, I was really excited. And I heard, but I've heard it's bad, but I don't know. The new Frasier? And I was like, Jessica has watched it, and she loved it. She was like, oh, good. I'm going to give it a try. Because <laughs> she loves Frasier. So I thought you would appreciate we that. Discuss this. Did you when you cut her hair today? When I cut her hair <laughs> yes. this afternoon. Wonderful. <laughs> I knew I was like, I told her yesterday, I was like, oh, I can't wait to tell Jessica that like you're into Frasier. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, she no, we discussed that, and we discussed Frasier at length, especially the episode when Niles has the bird stuck on his head. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What, what else besides Frasier? <laughs> um, so also on Halloween, um, me and my son watched the new FNAF. 
Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, how was it? I really liked it. Nice. It had Matthew Lillard in it. Oh, fun. It had fun. the guy from The Hunger Games. Cool. It had, I think, somebody else. But yeah, I thought it was delightful. Cool. And it was, I guess, it was, you know, more for kids, but it still had some, had some gore. Yeah. Um... I, I enjoyed like it. Scary enough for like... Yeah, scary yeah, enough. Kind of like old, like younger teen horror maybe. Yeah. 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 And the, I thought the animatronics were really well done. And then at the end of the movie, I was like, no wonder it was Jim Henson. Oh, that did very the, cool. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, the studio that the did su- all the... The suits and stuff. Nice, nice. The puppetry. How fun. Yeah. I... The... 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 They enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We um, we watched, as you had already mentioned that you had watched it, um, Ichabod, Mr. Toad and uh, Ichabod Crane mm-hmm. um, on actual Halloween. Oh, I also watched Garfield's Halloween on Halloween. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it was still just as delightful. And it was on Peacock. They have all of Garfield, all the cartoons on Peacock. Well, this might finally sway me to get Peacock. Yeah. It's the Garfield. It's the Garfield. <laughs> yeah, we um, we live in a neighborhood that does um, have trick-or-treaters. Last year was hopping. It was awesome. This year, not so many. Um, it was a Tuesday. It was really windy, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. So, yeah, we kind of weren't out there for too, too long. And, yeah, we came in and just watched the cartoon and kind of chilled and ate. We have a ton of candy left. And, no, I did not return it. I was like, I already freaking bought it. We're going to eat all this candy. <laughs> so, I have, like, a 250-piece bag of candy left. Um, yeah, because we didn't have nearly as many. Yeah, and then before that, we were still watching. We watched Poltergeist. That was a fun mm. watch. We hadn't seen that one in a really long time. Yeah. Forgot the guy from Coach was in it. Like, <laughs> Oh, so little, it was It was totally him, him yeah. I believe, yeah. Somebody We've else was telling me about that. done our movie night. Uh, Andrew picked out Casino Royale this week was what we watched. Um, he's a huge 007 fan. James Bond. He, like, likes all of them. We watch them regularly. Um, so, yeah, we went back to the beginning of the Daniel Craig, basically. The Daniel Craig. The Daniel Craig the Bond. Daniel. <laughs> I told you who he's married to, right? Who is it? Um, I think Rachel Wise. Oh. I mean, I could see that. From the mummy? Yeah. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. I would marry her, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what a attractive couple. I know, right? <laughs> like, Jesus. That's like upper tier. I know. It's not even... Fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like her and uh, Bridget Fraser. Like, yeah. And the they mummy, were, Yeah, and the mummy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. Another dream team. <laughs> I also caught, like I said, I have Shutter um, now, so I'm making sure I actually freaking use it. I don't want it to be one of those things where I'm like, yeah, give me this for my birthday, and then I like never watch it right. up or something. So I've been taking advantage. I have liked recently, they do kind of like, um, just like a, it's not live, but it's like cable almost. Like they'll have like three different almost channels, and they'll just be playing something, and you can... You know, you'll just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, you watch a little bit of it, and then if you get sucked in, you get sucked in, and then you can either watch it from the beginning if you want to, or just kind of go from there. 
Um, so it's and, basically cable. Yeah, yeah, but only <laughs> horror movies, so yeah. you kind of can't go wrong. And they even have, like, a theme of each kind of channel. Okay. Like, one was called, like, Slashix, I think. That's so it's, awesome, like, though, because then it's, like, strictly that theme. It is, yeah, yeah, because they have, like, a slasher one, a folk horror one, and then the other one... I think it's more of like a, a generality of just what they're featuring that month or something. So I found, uh, stumbled into one with Steve Yoon, who was Glenn from The Walking Dead. Okay. Um, and he's also the voice of uh, Invincible, which is the cartoon um, based on the Robert Kirkman comic. And that is on Amazon. We actually watched the first episode of the second season of Invincible last night. Uh, really good. And then, yeah, I watched this movie called Mayhem with Steve Yoon. It was very interesting. Um... It almost kind of reminded me a little bit of that, like, I guess it would be the 20 teens kind of uh, movie style, like zombie land kind of, where it's like breaking the fourth wall kind of, like they're explaining Mm -hmm. or narrating what's going on, but it's kind of action packed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And this is like, there's some virus, not a zombie virus though, it's just a virus that makes your inhibitions go down and it could affect people all differently, you know, just however they are, but it can make you more violent. And so I guess I, again, I didn't catch it quite from the beginning, but it was the beginning enough to where I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) It's just a stupid horror movie. I'm good. Um, so apparently those I guess it's a law firm or something they've they've ruled that basically cuz someone was exposed to this virus and they they killed someone and they ruled that they weren't responsible for their actions. Okay. So if you're exposed <clears throat> to this virus, you're not accountable for your actions. But you're still like aware. Like I said, you're not a zombie. Like it doesn't turn you necessarily into something completely different. Undead. Yeah, <laughs> you're not undead. Um so he basically gets fired because of whatever, I don't know, there's a setup. And he's wanting revenge, and he's about to get kicked out, and this virus was somehow released into this building, and now it's all done on quarantine. And they're like, listen, you have, like, so many hours until the virus, like, dissipates, and it's out of everybody's system. Like, just try to, like, lock yourself in your office and just, you know, calm out the storm. And so... He's fired, so he kind of basically is like, I'm going to go kill the CEO. <laughs> and then it's almost like a video game a little bit where it's like, oh, you have to get the key card to get the certain levels. And there's almost like a video, you know, like a mini mm-hmm. boss they kind of have to take down. It sounds interesting. Um, so it was fun. Yeah, it was a really fun kind of movie like that. Um, there's a girl he teams up with, you know, like, so it kind of has that kind of, ooh, there's kind of sexy chemistry. There's a sex scene, of course, like... Um, everything, yeah, it hits all those notes of, like I said, those kind of movies that were really popular, I feel like, around that time. Um, yeah, and he, of course, Steve is a good actor. So he did, he like, he made the movie for sure. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have been as good if, if it was Otherwise. like, yeah, someone else. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of one of the fun ones I got into. Um, other than that, though, I've been playing a lot of video games more, so I guess I'm looking for, like, more escapism. <laughs> right. A lot of Baldur's Gate 3, and then I also started playing Sims 4. And the Sim I created, a little bit of a hoe, apparently. <laughs> she she started, uh, she got married real quick, and then started cheating on her husband real quick. Oh. And then, and then, and then, like, you kind of give them a guiding hand, so then I was like, oh, well, I'll have her just, like, flirt with this 
this girl seems like she might be interested in this guy. And that's why it started. Because I was like, oh, I'll have her flirt with the guy that this girl's interested in. But then she got into a relationship with the girl. <laughs> and, then, and then all bets were off. And then and I named her Suki Insufferable. And I was like, you really lived up to your name. Because she's screwing over all these people. <laughs> so then it was just like watching a drama unfold. And then she had a baby with someone, with one of the guys. And he's constantly upset with her because she's constantly flirting with people. <laughs> it was so funny. I've never played The Sims games before. I haven't either. I had no idea that this is what they got for. You're like, you could literally like make your own K-dramas or like novellas. Like whatever you would want almost. And you can design your house and make it look really cool in the process. And then you can give them different outfits for different occasions. Mm, so I'm nice. like, I can see why this is a... I see a lot of memes around on the internet talking about how like women are really into The Sims. And I'm like, yeah. Because it's can... like an interactive dollhouse kind of. It's exactly what it is. So yeah, that's, that's what we've been up to. We've just been kind of keeping it a little easy. Mm-hmm. Holidays are approaching. It's going to be stressful. So let's just try to day at a time it, guys. <laughs> So in this episode, we watched 1991's Thelma and Louise. It was released um, at Cannes on May 20th of that year. And then on May 24th, there was a United States release. And then slowly it released internationally, staggered out from there. The running time is 129 minutes. Yes, it was long. It's a long one. I mean, it's directed by Ridley Scott. So what do you expect? (laughs) It was written by Callie Corey. And it was produced by Ridley Scott and Mimi Polk Gitlin. It was starring Susan Sarandon, Gina Davis, Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, Christopher McDonald, and Brad Pitt's first iconic performance. Yes. Cinematography. We all remember. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Cinematography was Adrian Biddle. It was edited by Tom Noble. Music by Hans Zimmer. Oh, shit. The man. Yeah. That's why it's so good. Nice. <laughs> uh, the budget was about $17 million, and the box office was $45.4 million. Yes. So for this type of movie, that was pretty well, actually, mm-hmm. I think. So uh, Callie Corey was Kentucky-raised. And she sent, uh, she sent, she spent about six months writing uh, this script. Um, she actually had been producing like rock music videos um, in the late 80s um, with another woman named Amanda Temple. And they did like Motley Crue, Alice Cooper, like there was a whole bunch of stuff mentioning about like people, some of her job was like, oh, this girl needs bigger tits and no clothes. Like, that was the world she lived in, you know? Like, that kind of thing. Uh, She also had been friends uh, for a while with a country singer named Pam Tillis. And uh, when they were younger and kind of starting out. And so that's kind of where you're going to see how she came up with the idea. kind of just struck her. And then she's taking from these different people and situations in the world that she's lived in, basically. And that's how she kind of came up with this film. She actually won the movie's only Oscar, which was for Best Original Screenplay that year. It was nominated for quite a bit of things. Um, Five, in fact, uh, including Scott for director, Biddle for cinematography, and Noble for editing. Um, but Ridley Scott has said, he was like, oh, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot. Sarandon and Davis were both nominated for Best Actress. 
Um, but Jodie Foster was the one who ended up taking it for Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because Jodie Foster was actually the first to be signed up to be one of the Thelma and Louise characters. Oh, really? But just the way it went down during the process... It went through quite a few different, like, ideas of who was going to play these women. So, um, I found a lot of, just to be straight out the gate, a lot of this from a Vanity Fair article. And it was very well written. It was very long. Um, <laughs> go ahead and shout that out. I, I had a lot of information out of it. Um, it was called The Ride of a Lifetime by Sheila Weller. It was from the February 2012 Vanity Fair. And, yeah, they basically kind of... I just highly recommend if you really like this movie, read the full article to get the whole story because it is pretty interesting. Um, I'm, of course, just giving you the cliff notes. <laughs> uh, another fun fact about uh, Callie Corey is she does later do uh, films something to talk about. She also did Divine Sisters, the Yaya Sisterhood. <laughs> and then she also created the ABC TV drama Nashville that was very, very popular. Uh, my husband watched it. <laughs> Yeah, I heard about it. I didn't watch it. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, she also drew uh, inspiration from things that happened to her. So when she first moved to L.A., funny story, comedian Larry David was walking her to her car because she was a waitress at an improv club. And a bunch of young kids with sawed-off shotguns uh, robbed them. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and then... And that was uh, not long after her and the country singer friend she had, Tillis, had been leaving a party and they had been jumped. And Tillis joked around because their friendship was very much kind of like Thelma and Louise and that Corey was usually the more Louise character and Tillis was the more kind of fun and more, you know, a little gullible trusting um, Thelma. But when Tillis said of their encounter that she had become the level-headed one and that Callie Corey was, like, refusing to let her purse go because she'd been working so hard for her money and had just about had it. And Tillis had a talker, like, she's like, what are you doing? Like, just give, like, give them your shit. And um, Corey later, she describes that event being kind of a, a, a turning point of that idea, too, of this movie. Because she was like, if I would have had a gun, I would have shot them. I would have killed them. Mm -hmm. Like, hands down. She was at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the whole, the whole process, she thought it was going to be her and Amanda Temple making this movie. She wanted Amanda to produce, and she was going... Uh, possibly to direct. They were going to make it super indie was their kind of thought process of how this movie would even, you know, get made during this time. Um, luckily, because they did still work, you know, in Hollywood and everything, and they've been doing these music videos, they were connected enough. So they got to know... Uh, Temple had a friend named Mimi Polk, who is now Mimi Polk Gitlin, who helped produce it. She was actually running Ridley Scott's production company. And she basically just went to her and was like, hey, like, will you just read this, like, and tell us, like, if we're crazy? Like, we think it's good. But they'd been at that point getting denied even, you know, mm -hmm. independent or otherwise. Um, someone had basically told them that the characters were detestable and unsympathetic and that you would never get audiences support. That is what really, one, yeah. That's what one producer said. Which, let's be honest, it was was probably, it all men? Yes, <laughs> that was a lot to do with it. Because that was the whole thing of this movie. It's crazy bitches. Yeah, and that was actually one quote too that Ridley Scott even was heard when he was looking for directors. Someone was like, "I don't get what the big deal. It's two bitches in a car." And Ridley Scott's like, "What the fuck are you talking?" <laughs> like, you know, like I said, you need to read the Vanity Fair article. It's very good. Um, 
So basically it was a long road for them. And they're like, oh, God, like, this isn't going to happen. And uh, Mimi Gitlin, though, was like, you know what? I'm going to actually show it to Ridley. And they were, like, kind of like, oh, God. <laughs> like, what if he hates it? Like, what if yeah. a real director does think it's garbage? And, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to bother you. And um, so she, that's how she kind of was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I don't think it's for you, but maybe it's something we can produce, is how Mimi kind of, you know, put, put it, it on his there. radar. And then he read it and he said, quote, I saw what was unique about it immediately. Uh, Women tended to get parts as somebody's girlfriend. And this was about no one else but them. It had substance. It had a voice. And it had a great outcome, which you could never change. Their decision was courageous to carry on the journey and not give in. So he immediately got it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... So the more he was, like, thinking about it and everything, um, he liked the idea more and more. So he kind of just started shopping it around. With him being attached to it, now it was, like, kind of spread like wildfire because he had already been coming off of um, Aliens and then also um, Blade Runner. So Mm -hmm. he was just kind of already well-known. And... He wasn't, though, well-known, obviously, making more women-centric films. And so he even went to someone he knew production-wise who did produce a lot of more uh, women-centered features. And um, they kind of collaborated in that respect. So that was pretty interesting that he took it very seriously. And he was, like, on the hunt for, like, the perfect actresses. And then he wanted the perfect director. That's awesome. And the directors just weren't delivering for him. And he started becoming more and more attached, I think, to this film as he went on. And he said as the more he, like, would try to sell it to other directors, he realized he was selling it to himself the whole time. Because he was even hesitant. He was like, I shouldn't be directing this. I did fucking alien movies, like, you know, and sci-fi. And he eventually basically talked himself into it is what it sounded like. So I thought that was cool um, because he was also quoted to said um, because the screenwriter was very hesitant to have him direct it, obviously. So he was quoted saying, I never had trouble letting women tell me what to do. All the years I'd run my company, I found that women were the best men for the job. Scott Free LA was ran by a woman. Scott Free London was ran by a woman. I could sit here... Um, around and analyze the foolishness of men since men are fundamentally the children in any relationship. <laughs> like, he just has some good crazy quotes, you. yeah, in this article that I thought was like, good on Ridley Scott. He, right. he does seem like he got it enough, and I think that's why this film still resonates with women so well, considering he is a male director. I think he does always do justice and respect for, like, the female perspective, mm-hmm. which is nice, you know, for a change, for especially a big director like he is. Right. You Not to just be, way. like, gross about it or... Exactly. Because yeah. it was also his kind of idea, not idea, but his pushing of keeping more of the lighthearted and comedy aspects throughout it. Because he said Callie did have it a little more serious, you know, at times. Obviously, it's, like, serious themes throughout but he did want to keep that and kind of also explore it a little more. So that way it would still capture also the male audience and um, kind of help 
basically make it like palatable for them to understand the perspective because he knew a lot of men wouldn't get that but if he adds yeah like the whole scene of them with the truck driver you know like that scene uh when they were shopping and around always resonated the most with women because they said that would happen to them all the time Mm -hmm. and then um and they said adding it the comedic aspect would make men also be like yeah you know like and then of course you had an explosion right (laughs) and they're gonna be on the lady's side <laughs> Far. Yeah, so I thought that was uh, pretty uh, pretty smart on his part to, like, want to balance it like he that. He was wooing both sides. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it, so it started basically with the actresses and everything. Holly Hunter and Frances McDormand when it was mm. still an indie idea. Yeah. And that was what the, who the girls were thinking about. Um, and then when it got picked up by Scott, that's when it was, it could have been Jodie Foster and Michelle Pfeiffer, Ooh. but yeah, that didn't work out. So then it was going to be Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Oh. And Ridley Scott said Goldie Hawn wasn't for the part. Like he didn't really? see her in it. Yeah. I guess he loved Meryl Streep, but he didn't see it with Goldie. And then something else happened that didn't, you know, that kind of fell through. And then finally... Gina Davis had been pursuing him for over a year to get the part. Mm. Which I think is funny because this is the second thing we've heard about Gina Davis where she's like, give me this role. And she just like goes for it. Like, yeah. And that's what <laughs> she did for this too. She was like, she wanted Louise. All she did was practice for Louise. Her oh. agent and them were kind of like grooming her to like play this Louise character. She went in for her audition finally and like just went hard and told them exactly why she needed to be Louise. And then he was like... So, not Thelma? And she's like, oh, Thelma? No, never mind. Louise, forget her. I'm Thelma. <laughs> like, apparently that was her thing. Yeah, so, she's like, I can play anybody. Yeah, so she basically did wear him down. And she still thought, she said basically she didn't care which. She just wanted one of them, though. And then he stumbles across Susan Sarandon was, like, given the role to, to look at. And she, at that time, was even kind of, she was in New York. So she had never even heard all the hubbub that was kind of going on in Hollywood about everyone wanting this um, role. And she's always been like, let's be honest, better than everyone, TM. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, when she walked in, he was like, she's Louise. Because she is the prim, the proper, that she's put together. She's organized. Mm. Like, she had already had notes. Like, you know, like, he was like, no, she is Louise. And so when he brought them both in, and at that time, Gina Davis was like, no, I still think I would make a better Louise. But then she actually meets her, and she said that, like, like, (laughs) um... This was her quote, but pretty much the second Susan walked in the room, I was like, are you kidding me that I could play Louise? Like, she was like, Susan is self-possessed and centered and so together that she is that character. Exudes it. Yeah, she just exudes it. Yes, exactly. Um, Sarandon even, she vetoed, there actually was an intimate interlude scene implied with, um... Louise's guy, uh, was it Johnny or Jimmy? I can't remember Jimmy. now. Jimmy. Um, with Jimmy. And she's quoted as saying, with Thelma's rape in her mind, Louise wouldn't surrender to orgasm without falling apart. <laughs> and I was like, that is deep, Susan that, Sarandon. That is very deep. <laughs> so that's I thought... Why, is that's why she's so tight? Is that what she's saying? Uh, kind of. Well, a little bit too of just like why she's just wanting to talk and like they just have oh, a more intimate okay. moment. You know, she was like, no, she's not going to 
go and just fuck her boyfriend, like, not after what they've gone through and, like... At that point, Louise is still trying to be strong and keep all of her shit together Mm -hmm. because she thinks they're going to get money and get to Mexico. So I thought that was really cool of Susan Sarandon to, like, also take the part so seriously. seriously. Yeah, yeah. I (laughs) mean, because that was a big deal kind of movie back then. uh, Yeah, and it's, like, just... It was really fun looking up the facts for this one. Like, just that everyone took it so seriously and there was, like, such a respect and... um, like passion to make it so that was really cool because i feel like it is one of the strongest like female centered Mm -hmm. films and and it encompasses like a lot about female female friendships and relationships and then and even all these years later from 91 it's 2023 and a lot hasn't changed still right you know like in that respect some yeah yeah it has but some of them no not so much like we're actually having some things you know being set back on us so like, what the fuck, guys? Right. <laughs> like, We're more progressive almost in the 90s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty uh, crazy to see. Another fun thing just to end out the facts with is that uh, Ridley Scott does consider the landscape to be the third character of this film. And you can definitely tell that yeah, by the shots. Beautiful. Definitely. Um, they scouted uh, from Arkansas to Oklahoma, halfway across Texas. And at that point, Ridley Scott was like, what the fuck are we doing here? It all looks the same we can do this in the valley and he was like and we can shoot it in utah and i can still go home every night (laughs) so they centered the or center they filmed the big uh grand canyon scene actually in um utah (laughs) so so that way they could all be like still close enough to drive to their prospective homes that was nice so there we go so you spend the night at their own house um the one Plus, they got from all of the scouting, though, was that he happened to meet a female cement mixer driver that had a pack of marbles rolled up in her sleeve of her T-shirt, and he bought her trucker hat for her, and that's the one that Davis wears at the end of the movie because he saw that's what her character would evolve, that she would come frilly dressed as Barbie and will evolve into this, like, badass trucker lady. (laughs) Yeah, and she did. Yep. Um, so yeah, like I said, I already told you the article I got most of that from, and then a little bit of it was for Mental Floss. Uh, with that, Jess is going to take it away with that, yeah, googled some Meek housewife Thelma joins her friend Louise, an independent waitress, on a short fishing trip. However, their trip becomes a flight from the law when Louise shoots and kills a man who tries to rape Thelma at a bar. Louise decides to flee to Mexico, and Thelma joins her. On the way, Thelma falls for a sexy young thing. J.D. and the sympathetic detective Slocum tries to convince the two women to surrender before their fates are sealed. Um, I thought that it had been recently because I feel like I've watched this movie so many times, but as I watched it, I forgot a lot. So it must've been longer than I thought. (laughs) So I don't know. Maybe now I'm thinking about it. Seven years probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, uh, 
Yeah, probably within the last decade, but more like, yeah, getting towards the later of that part Mm -hmm. of the decade. Um, But yeah, it's something that I've watched so often that it's always feels at least semi-fresh enough because I've seen it that many times. Like, this is definitely a high-rotation film. High-rotation, I think, for both of us. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, we watched it a lot when we were younger together. Mm -hmm. I watched it by myself a lot. I had the VHS tape of it. Yeah. I was very attached to it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, as far as this film, if you haven't... If you couldn't have told... Oh, my God. I can't speak. I'm sure you could tell by how hard I went into the facts that, obviously, I really love this movie. Right. And then we have also always said that's how we're going to go out exactly. in life. Exactly. Thelma and Louise in it. Yeah. I mean, it literally is part of the plan. Like, uh, we've only establish that we're going to add maybe fireworks into the mix. <laughs> uh, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> but Baby, definitely, you're a firework. Yeah. We're Literally. Playing that Katy Perry. <laughs> in, a, in a Thunderbird. Yeah. <laughs> with some fireworks going off the Grand Canyon. I mean, how badass would that be? <laughs> Um, yeah, so it, it is act, the actual plan. Um, that is how inspiring this movie is. Mm-hmm. Will we murder a man and commit armed robbery before then? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if we already know that that's the end game. Uh, why not? <laughs> it's kind of on Stephanie's bucket list. <laughs> Fun fact. (laughs) Secrets. (laughs) Oh, man. So with that, um, we'll just get right into it. I love the intro of the sexy 90s outlaw western rock. (laughs) That's a mouthful. It's all of those things. And knowing that Hans Zimmer uh, had a hand in some of the I like, know. It yeah. makes sense. It makes sense. It was very appropriate for every scene. Yeah. And oh, to be so honest, like, I had completely forgot Ridley Scott even directed this movie. I t- totally did too. I, and I was like, wait so, a minute. That can't be the same Ridley Scott. Yeah. I'm you're like, oh, wait. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I was like, oh, it just makes me love him even more. Because I am a huge Ridley Scott fan. I will say after this watch, I think it might have solidified. I looked at Andrew. I was like, is Ridley Scott my favorite director now? Like, <laughs> I've already did this one. And then all the other ones that I love? Are you crazy? And Dune was, ugh. Like, I will gobble it up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and we get our intro to Susan Sarandon. And she is just beautiful in all her uptight High neckline glory. Miss mm-hmm. <laughs> Pris herself. Mm-hmm. And you see that she is a, a waitress. And then and she does that southern accent so, so well. So well. So well. You also get the intro of her calling Gina Davis. You know a girl's trip is afoot. And we see that Gina Davis is a housewife with a really shitty husband. And the um, guy who always plays an asshole. Yep. Shooter McGavin himself. <laughs> Stephanie was like, finally, it's really Shooter McGavin. I was right this time. (laughs) But first, I'm going to show you the video of why I know him, Shooter McGavin. Okay. What I know him from. 
And tell me if you remember this too. What, like you originally knew him from? Yes. Okay. Or like how, what, why I remember him. Yeah, because I only ever remember him as Shooter McGavin. Is that Ed O'Neill? <laughs> yeah. What movie? Sigourney Weaver? No, it's not Sigourney Weaver. Oh. I said. <laughs> I just got fucking hit in the face by Al Bundy. <laughs> Dutch. Oh God, I don't. You don't remember that one with him and Ethan Embry? Vaguely. Oh man, that was one of my favorites. I watched it all the time. Oh my God, it's so. It's funny. like a, it's one of my Thanksgiving movies. <laughs> Cracks me up. But that's how I know Christopher McDonald. Just <laughs> from Dutch. He still played a sleaze there, and he was an asshole then too. <laughs> So because he's such an asshole is what we discover that Gina Davis is like, you know what? Um, I'm not even, apparently she has to ask him for permission to do anything. Um, but also never comes home. He's, yeah, one, exactly. he's one of those. Yeah. Um, he just wants her home at all times waiting for him. Yeah. To give him She ceases to exist unless he is there. Right. Um, so she's like, fuck it. We'll just go. And as uh, I said in the facts, yeah, she is in like this Jean, like, princess like pearls and jean and lace and <laughs> yeah glorious glorious it's beautiful she is she is beautiful in this. yes she is i love her hair and susan sarandon we see her getting ready as well and she is of course the more tucked in press shirt but she almost has like this western kind of jacket she puts on with it and oh my god she's so it looks beautiful too like it's just a different well you know like a Trim and tailored look. Yeah. And um, I love how she has, like, her one cup that she has washed and put mm-hmm. away. And, and you immediately see, yeah, like, how she has everything and in its space and, and almost, like, perfection. Very in control at all times. Although I am curious, how does a waitress at what looks like to be a very podunk d- diner in the middle of Arkansas afford a fucking Thunderbird like that? And $6,700 in, in the bank. I mean, okay, um, this just was, like, in my head last night. I literally wrote in my notes, fuck you, boomers. I was like, <laughs> like <laughs> the 90s. Yeah, like, that's how. yeah, when a fucking waitress <laughs> could have six grand in yeah. savings and could have, have a, a spot. A living, like, yeah. could have a living, basically. Yeah, oh, and could afford to live in an apartment by herself. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. So, that was fun to watch. <laughs> And uh, they're off on their merry way. Uh, they show Gina Davis's character how she's like, oh, uh, I'll just kind of pack a little of everything. And she does throw her gun into her bag and then tells Louise she brought it. And then Louise tells her, put it in my bag because Gina Davis has no clue what to actually do with it. She um, just brought it for funsies. And we've established that Susan Sarandon, obviously Louise's character, is from Texas. Mm-hmm. She mentions it vaguely in the beginning when they end up at a bar because they want to stop and get something to eat. Something to eat. Something to eat. And, and, uh, it's going to be after dark anyway. Yeah. We can stop. We might as well have a little fun. We're going out. And this is where, in the beginning, Thelma does drive you a little Oh, yeah. Crazy. I was like, Louisa's problem is, is Thelma. Thelma. <laughs> <laughs> and then it made me feel bad. I was like, am I Stephanie's problem? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like, oh, <laughs> you, I love you though, but 
when we were younger and we would like go out together a hundred percent like you were Thelma and I was Louise like you were the talkative one the one who was like we're gonna go dance and I want to go have fun and I'm like oh god I gotta keep an eye on her and she's like where's Jess yeah <laughs> she's riding out with somebody yeah that's always a major concern <laughs> She made a friend and she went away. I mean, even when we were younger and we went to, it was one of, her parents took us to a lot of concerts when we were younger. And there was one particular one where we were going to the restroom and some guy started talking to us. And Jessica, being the nice person, was trying to combat it by being ni- nice and still communicating with the the gentleman we'll, we'll, we'll say that ironically <laughs> quotes gentleman um begins to uh, start to kind of sexually harass us and that is in which i take over <laughs> and just grab you and throw you into the woman's bathroom <laughs> to get us out of that situation so definitely Thelma and louise vibes <laughs> yeah i even wrote that in my notes i said Stephanie is totes Louise when she tells that guy what for at the bar yes. and she blows the smoke in his face. Yes. I was like, I I'm pretty know. sure I know. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen her do that before. <laughs> I totally have. Yeah. I was like watching Thelma and Louise this time. I guess it's like I said, it's been a while and I'm like, <laughs> I'm ashamed. I feel like I'm watching a video of my life. <laughs> great about it though is because it's in the beginning though you are like oh my god Thelma like seriously but the roles do reverse like mm-hmm. and there is always that thing and I think that's what that's what makes this movie amazing because it captures not only female friendships but I feel like any relationship in which two people are a part of it there's always people who balance one another mm-hmm. um and because yeah in the beginning Soulmates. Louise is more in control and she is the one um, a little more level-headed at times and Thelma's being a little more gullible or naive. But um, when Louise finally has her breakdown, it's Thelma who then knows she has to step up and mm-hmm. she has to be the one taking charge and figuring shit out. So um, I love to see how they do that and how they show those dynamics um, in those relationships. Yeah. It was really and fun character to watch. growth. Yeah, because in the beginning, though, yeah, because Delma, oh, well. And, I mean, you get it. She has her asshole husband. She's wanting to let her hair down. Yeah, my hair is down. down. (laughs) (laughs) Although, when the local waitress even knows the guy's name that's bothering you, that is never a good sign, ladies. Just throwing that out there. That is a red flag, always. Always a red flag, always. Don't ever, don't dance with that guy. Take it from Stephanie, who has worked. (laughs) In the bar and food and I, bar I was also a waitress. Right. So <laughs> another reason why I'm Louise. Right. <laughs> no, but uh, I think it's the waitressing that gives you the jadedness. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 Especially when there's alcohol involved. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you really see the worst of people. Mm-hmm. So at this point you do, and this is where I feel for Louise, and that's when I know I'm a Louise because I'm like, we got to go. Time. Schedule. Exactly. Chop, chop. And then Thelma's off. Not listening. Dancing with fucking Harlan. Dancing with Harlan. and Who then, is not even attractive. No. Anyway. And then she even overdrinks, basically, and has to go throw up in the parking lot. Classic Jezebel move. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh my God, her Jezebel's coming out. 
And um, uh, when we actually post this episode in the summary, what have you, we will have a content warning, kind of because obviously this movie is going to have a lot of mentions of rape. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, we've already mentioned it earlier. I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Uh, just a verbal one as well. Mentions of it. Get ready. Uh, the rape scene happens. It is intense. Yeah. It is still to this day very hard to, to watch. Yeah. Um, and I think Susan Sarandon did such a good job. Nailed it. Nailed it. Gina Davis did too. Oh, she it was did heartbreaking. Too. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. But that moment on Louise's face, when they are, they're away from the situation. Like... He's let you know he's not pursuing it anymore. I'm just gonna be emotional for a second. I know, <laughs> but to know, like at this point, we don't know what's happened to to Louise. But I feel like everyone already you knew in that moment. You didn't have to. We in the whole movie, they mention it again, and I feel like that's only for people who are kind of dumb. But ultimately, right? I feel like her face in that moment says everything you need to know. Like it really does. Like she goes from. Uh, you know, that almost, like, anger to when he keeps on, and then the, suck my dick, and then yeah. just the, like, you the see rage. the switch of rage yeah. on her face. And, and she, I have been there before. She nailed it, and then just pops up. Pops a cap in his ass. I still, to this day, that I wrote, scene, I laugh every dessert. time. Yeah. With giddy laughter. I'm always like, ha, <laughs> ha, like, when later, she's like, he didn't expect that. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> exactly. And even the way... This is what pisses me off, though. Okay. This is about the whole movie. Why was the cop so hell-bent that it had to be them? Because even the waitress was like, no. Could not have been anything to do with them, too. They left... And then, you know, whatever. Whatever happened to Harlan happened to Harlan. It was probably, probably his yeah. wife or, like, somebody's husband that of wives he was fucking. Exactly. So and why, were there, why were they so hell-bent on Thelma and Louise is what I want to know. That was my... I get it a little bit to an ex- extent of, like, police procedure in that there was witnesses of them kind of peeling out frantically. So they were thinking, and they do say it, that they're only wanted for questioning because they think they're witnesses at first. And so I believe that is supposed to be the thought process behind that. It's more of they think that they've witnessed a murder Mm. and that they're probably scared and and maybe, you know, like on the run kind of like, oh, God, we witnessed this thing and maybe the person's after after them. Yeah. Like, I think that's the implication, but I do think it's a little ridiculous. Like, (laughs) because we do get to the point where there were... And plus, the guy was such a piece of shit. Do you really care? That's what I'm saying. You're going to call the FBI right away? Piece of shit Harlan? Exactly. Why are we calling the FBI for some dead fucking philanderer in a fucking, like shitty bar off the side of like the interstate. Right. Like, who gives Doesn't a shit? Doesn't this happen all the time around here? Yeah, We're gonna right. call the FBI for every Tom, Dick, and Harry? Well, because they're like, do you think they went across? What would make them think that they went across state lines? Though? Either they're like, oh, it's a possibility. How is that a possibility? You don't know who the fuck they were or and where the fuck Oklahoma's they were going. Oklahoma's a substantial state? Is that where they're supposed to be? Is Oklahoma? Well, they're in Arkansas, oh, I thought, yeah. to begin well, okay, with. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. There should have been no real reason for them to even assume they were that going They were out-of-towners out of or whatever. Yeah, because they were even supposed to just be going to some cabin. Like, I don't think it was out-of-state. Like, I think it was just supposed to be Around there. Them. Yeah, chilling. Just a ways away 
So that's where it, it seems like they just had to do that to get the FBI involved. Obviously, it's probably guess. just a plot device. <laughs> but yeah, it did seem like just overkill. Like, a little bit. I get that it's a murder, but again, I don't know. I don't think one random, especially like you said, with the person, the victim being someone with a lot of enemies. Right. Like, that's where, why are you focusing on just this one lead? It would seem like, what else are you doing? Because Harvey Keitel's character... He is the first detective. He's mm-hmm. actually in the Arkansas, whatever, state police or whatever. So I feel like I'm like, dude, you're not doing your due diligence. Like, what if it had been a jilted lover? And he is, it seems like, focusing everything on them. Everything. That's what I'm saying from the get-go. From the get-go, And there was yeah. no evidence that it was them. It, like, Yeah, there was none other than they left around and the same time. And they had time. her fingerprints on the trunk of the car. Why would they have her fingerprints? Has she been arrested before? Like Exactly, I know. Her fingerprints would have I been I like how in 1991 in this film, Everybody in the all world the police has forces also work together so fucking well. Seamlessly. When if you actually listen to true crime. That's from, why things don't from get crimes solved. Around 1991 no hell nah fucking counties next to each other barely fucking talk to one another right. do we really think that there's gonna be fucking cops in 1991 from arkansas all the way to fucking new mexico that are able to communicate seamlessly across all boundaries and with the fbi involved. yeah like over Harlan. Maybe if it was Senator oh, Harlan. Yeah, well, it's a one dead white guy. That's why it was so fucking important. And probably a piece of trash yeah, as no. well. If it would have been a girl in the parking lot, they wouldn't have fucking looked no further than the fucking two streets over. Well, didn't find him. Another dead whore. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can I guarantee you. <laughs> that and that is one of the things that makes this movie so infuriating sometimes. <laughs> Yes, he deserved to die. <laughs> and I hope he, he burns, burns in hell. <laughs> yep. So, um... So don't waste your time. Be like, oh, well, another one bites the dust. <laughs> <laughs> but no. And that's the thing. I I do have to say, everyone... Everything I read that talks about this movie always talks about Harvey Keitel's cop character. How he's supposed to be the only one... That understands the mess that they've got themselves involved in. But I still see him as a fucking bad guy. Right. I don't know why everyone takes his character as like he's supposed to be the one man in here that knows, oh, these poor girls. And like even at the end when he's like, oh, what is this for? It's just for two women. I'm like, you're the one who kind of made a big deal about the two women. This is kind of all your fault for pursuing it so heavily with the fucking FBI. And I don't understand why they'd be so quick to go to the FBI when it's just two women and a Thunderbird that is very recognizable. I feel like... I, uh, that's where I'm kind of like, okay, well, yeah, is it one or the other? Because, yeah, especially at the end when... Because I'm like, at that point... They have kidnapped a cop and, like, hit him in something. They've killed a man. They've committed armed robbery. Yes, at that point, it probably it is necessary, Harvey Keitel. Like, who the fuck you think you are? If anyone would have done any of that at that point, all cops, guns drawn. Like, no one's going to be giving them, like, oh, they're just little women. Right. <laughs> like, they will shoot you in the face, obviously. So, yeah, his... I don't know. <laughs> Fuck his character. I, I'm not enamored with him like everyone else seems to be. Or like, oh, he understands. No, fuck you. No, he doesn't understand either. Because... If he did, he would have called the FBI. He would have been like, oh, well. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, I guess we'll never know what happens. Or After like, he met her husband, leads. he should have been like, I get it. I get it. Exactly. Or talk to 
witnesses who know Harlan and be like, oh, he probably tried to rape her. That's probably exactly what happened. Yeah. And they hightailed it. Don't blame them. Self-defense. Case closed. Case closed. <laughs> if it was Florida, they'd be like, stand your ground. Case closed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and this is, though, directly after, though, I am curious because I wonder what Louise was thinking. Well, obviously, we know she wasn't thinking this was totally like a PTSD kind of, you, like Reaction. I said, you yeah. see like a flip switch in her and you know. But that she just like, then they just keep driving and go somewhere else. I would have went to the cabin. I would have kept directly with so my the plans. plans. Right. And I'm like, we're going to act like nothing we happened. left and nothing happened. And he, he walked us to our car and said goodbye. And then we went here. And that is what happened. So that way, if they come to that cabin and find you, oh, look, nothing weird. You're at the no, location not, that you were supposed, yeah, to, that arrive supposed at. to be at. That is how I would have played it as the Louise that I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but who's to say after I shot someone if I would be thinking that clearly? Right. Maybe I would just be like, I got to go to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's uh, get a how to speak Spanish on tape. <laughs> Listen to it on the way uh, there. Muy poquito. <laughs> I'm halfway there. <laughs> Uh, Donde es el baño? There you go. Um, So that is the one thing where I'm kind of like, but of course you wouldn't have the movie if they would have done that. Right. (laughs) Um, So yeah, they basically like take off. um, And this is when Thelma's character is completely, you know, obviously just shook up and broken down and doesn't know what the hell kind of is going on. She's obviously in shock. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and now we're kind of, we're getting into it. It's Thelma and Louise. It's Thelma and Louise time. On the run. Yep. Bonnie and Clyde in it. And this movie is definitely two hours long. Yes. I, <laughs> yes, it is. There is, uh, as Ridley Scott has said, the scenery is definitely the third character because you spend a lot of time. Driving. Driving, looking at scenes of driving. Um and it goes on, it goes on and on. I feel like the Erica Badu song. <laughs> like, oh, I had a flashback when he started singing that. I was right. in my room in like 1997 when that song came out. <laughs> and like, yeah, I got a groove that yeah, one Exactly. Too. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Because your twinkly lights, and I was like, oh, flashback. Deja. I know, it's a good memory. Um, oh, it, it, what else is funny? My recollection was, I thought they shot the husband. I didn't think it was some rando trying to rape her. Oh, and I will say my memory was a little muddy because I thought her husband, like, straight up beat her. I didn't realize he was just a dick. Yeah, I didn't realize he was just an <laughs> like, asshole. Like, I thought he was, like, abusive to her. And I did, too. And that's why I thought that's yeah. why they killed him. <laughs> no. no, he's just, just an asshole. No, just some other asshole. <laughs> That's how I was like, the theme of this movie is all men are assholes. Just about, yeah. yeah. All men are pieces of shit, according to this movie. Even I mean, Brad Pitt, because he stole their fucking money. Yeah, Michael Madsen is the only one I feel like... Halfway decent. Halfway decent. But, okay, let's... Because <laughs> this movie's very long. We could do it play by play. But now, you've got the gist. If you haven't seen this movie, go fucking watch it. It's obviously you're going to need to watch for nuanced pieces. It is beautifully shot, obviously. Mm-hmm. So... In between that, you get Brad Pitt, kind of, they have two brushes with him, a, a few. And um, I like to call Thelma in the beginning, I called her Thelma the Thought. 
Because <laughs> she be thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, she's only been with fucking, uh, what's it? Whatever her husband's name is. Yeah. But here's the thing, too. Daryl. And that's where I'm kind of like, Thelma, girl, like, Louise just shot a man in cold blood. Over you. Over you. Like, because you're, I mean, not to say, like, obviously we're not going to victim blame Thelma. Because that is one of the reasons, too, why Louise doesn't go to the police to begin with. Because she's like, no one's going to fucking believe us. They saw you dancing with him all night. We already know this song and dance. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, where you get kind of a hint of it where she mentions Texas. Like, she's basically saying she's been through this before. Already, right. I'm wondering, though... Later, Harvey Keitel says, I know what happened in Texas. And that leads me to conclude that she did go to the police. And file a it, report. it didn't go in her favor. Obviously, no one believed her. Mm-hmm. Um, but at one point, before you get to that, where I was like, oh, I wonder if she uh, killed someone in Texas. Because she talks about how she won't even drive through it. And I was like, is she wanted in Texas? Oh, but, yeah. but with no. Harvey Keitel knowing what okay. happened, to me, that's like, okay, she's not wanted in yeah, Texas. She probably was that. just, yeah, like, had actually went to Final the authorities and no one, yeah. Gave a shit. Gave a shit. Um, and probably her rapist was probably set free or even given a pat on the back by the sounds of it, you know. Right. In Texas. Um, Good old boy system. Yeah, exactly. Um... <laughs> So they've established, though, that, yeah, it was not going to go in their way. But Thelma still, like, knowing all this happened, uh, kind of knowing then that what you've kind of triggered, not you yourself, but just the situation triggered in your friend and her wanting to protect you in the process, um, that her trauma response is to just be flirtatious with this like still trying to have fun. Still. I feel like yeah. she was still trying to have fun. Exactly. Like she's on vacation. Yeah, like you just witnessed your friend kill someone because of you because yeah for you or i mean yeah not saying it's your fault i'm saying it was your actions that caused her to kill a man so i feel like you should be doing whatever you can do to not put more stress on her or also just figuring out okay what the fuck are we gonna do yeah Yeah. not be like oh i want to go fuck that guy yeah see his ass and them jeans (laughs) that's basically what she said and then she's just drinking but I honestly, I'm like... Well, I that can, would probably be me. My trauma response would be to get drunk. And she's doing it with wild turkey. And I can say the That's first whiskey. time I ever had whiskey, I had nine shots of wild turkey. Oh, God. And I remember not being able to walk afterwards. And I had to call someone to come get me. <laughs> well, at least you remember that. Because usually when I went out, I didn't remember anything. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I remember, like, crawling on my hands, like, off the edge of someone's porch to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> and like I was so when they show her like slamming back the wild turkey and stuff I'm like I can see why she's making poor decisions yeah that, that tends to happen <laughs> inhibitions go out the window like that virus you were talking about yes <laughs> maybe it was just whiskey it was just wild turkey <laughs> it was just wild turkey <laughs> Um, and this is where I called, at this point in time, as we get further along into it, and the further they're on the road, and they're, like, meeting these guys, and they're going back and forth with Harvey Keitel, and the police kind of looking for them, and, and setting up shop at um, Selma's house, essentially. I was like, this is basically kind of like a, a Western noir. Mm, like, yeah. I kind of, I feel like that's a good way to describe it. Um, but you also get Harvey Keitel, does he just break in to Susan Sarandon's house at one point in the film? Because it shows him, like, checking out her house. And 
Mayhaps he had. He a walks in there because he sees like her one cup and like everything perfect. I'm like, motherfucker, did you have a warrant? Like at that point, I don't think they had done anything bad enough to where he could just waltz in their house. I don't know. Yeah, especially it's... when they weren't even like officially a suspect yet. Yeah, because I still think that was during the time, whatever. But I was like, and this is why I don't like his character. Right. <laughs> still. Oh, and where I was going to go with Michael Madsen's character, though, was that you think, okay, yeah, he's a pretty stand-up guy. Because eventually she reaches out to him because she needs to get the money. Um, and she's like, listen, if you wire it to me in Oklahoma City, she picks some random spot that they can go to. Because um, she knows that can be on her way to Under peaches. Mexico. And eventually they get there. He, he ends up getting there, not wiring it, because he wants to know what's going on. And she's straight up. She will not tell him, you know, anything. She does not mm-hmm. want to get him involved. She does care about him. But he eventually says, like... Didn't he propose to her? Yeah, he proposes to her. Um, she's, like, too little, too late a little bit. I think that's why they were kind of... Why she was wanting to get away, because he's just never wanting to commit, kind of. I think mm-hmm. that was only his only, like, drawback, really. But when they're saying their goodbyes, and they go back and forth, he basically gets Thelma her own room. They get the money. She gives Thelma the money to watch, which I thought was dumb of Louise. Exactly. Why wouldn't you just keep it you on your person? You already know your if friend. If you were going to be in the room with him anyway. Exactly. You and you know your friend far. is a hot fucking thirsty mess. Exactly. Like, why? Why would you do that? She's been and you, slinging back wild turkey constantly. You don't think she's going to go find some gonna go pick up a guy regardless if it wasn't Brad Pitt. I know. Like, she probably would have wandered around or, like, got drunk and, like, looked outside and saw some rando walking by and be like, hey. I know, right? Because she seems like she's just On the hunt. Yeah. All inhibitions when it comes to that. And, again, so, yeah, they run into uh, the Brad Pitt's character was uh, with them. I called him the hobosexual, you know, where he's, like, just friendly and flirty with any woman that he needs to get something from yeah sleep in bed take a shower and i put why are you a dumb bitch because this is the point where he literally admits that he's a robber and a thief yeah and and then she still left him there alone with the money yeah it's not like he didn't even have to rob her no and we get a scene of the sex scene basically so you basically know okay thelma's finally gonna get hers I mean, that was still pretty hot. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's fine. But the whole time it's I'm fine. like, you dumb bitch. Yeah. The money. <laughs> yep. um, and that's where you get the juxtaposition of Thelma's with hot night nightgown. with her old lady nightgown. <laughs> and then you get uh, the scene that we discussed with Susan Sarandon. Apparently in the script, she was going to possibly be intimate with um, her man. Jimmy. But... In true character fashion, uh, she's like, nah, Louise would not do that. And so I thought that was well done because Louise wouldn't have. Louise still uh, was had her head on her shoulders at this point, And she's thinking of her plan to get fucking out of here mm-hmm. and figure everything out. And Thelma is not. And so they meet in the diner that morning. And that is when we get the kind of climax of... Louise, it's Louise's turn to lose her shit. Yeah. Because dumbass Thelma, yeah, like, left the money. And she's even like, oh, it's all right. It's on the bedstand. Like, she didn't even It's on the bedstand. I guess I didn't hear that part. That part killed me. I'm like, bitch, you didn't even put it in a drawer. Like, you just left it in an envelope just out. Probably told them about it and showed it to them. Oh, yeah, because then you find out later she she told told them they were going to Mexico, which he ratted them out on. Yep. And then later, I told him not to tell nobody. 
when does that ever work for anything, dumb fucking bitch? Like, oh, it made me so mad. And then this is when Louise has her breakdown. And because now they have no money, they have nothing. And she knows she is fucked. Yep. Like, and that your best friend did that to you. I might murder you if you did that to me. <laughs> I'm not even playing. Like, I ain't that dumb. I know, because I'd be like, if you that dumb, then you don't deserve to live either. You're like, <laughs> I'm going to tell him it's fucking you. Yeah. I'm going to pull up your... It was your gun, bitch. <laughs> exactly. I'd wait till you're asleep and then put, put your, your hand on there. Put your yeah. on there. And then I would call the cops and be like, she was, she's held me at gunpoint. I wanted to go to the police. There you go. Yeah. It was her fingerprints on the car and yeah, she got it out alone, of her purse. And it was her and he purse. Was trying to rape I mean, her. And her gun. And I witnessed it and I told her we need to go to the cops. And she and told we, me she would shoot and me. And even her husband said she never got lessons and didn't know how to use her damn gun. Yeah. And I'd be like, she didn't know what she was doing. <laughs> yep. That's lady friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. No, so... (laughs) So, yeah, so Louise does break down, and then this is where we see the dynamics start shifting now. And I think at this point, this is when Thelma, I mean, does at least realize what a fuck-up she has been in this entire situation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is now, I'm going to say kind of like the act two... Uh, see, well, maybe the more of the third act, really, of where we're going into now just the full descent into chaos and crime. And this is when, after her torrid night with Brad Pitt, she kind of uh, gets, you know, his little famous rundown of how he robs banks. Right. And uh, uses it to her advantage. Yep. And, and they kind of go from there. And now they are full on criminals. And I do love when they showed her husband. The video yes. of her from <laughs> that gas station, and he's like, "Oh my god, the horror!" The horror. <laughs> like, I can't believe it. So the whole time while they're on the lamb, uh, they have the truck driver scene that we we've, we've already mentioned that. So that is you're going to be seeing that throughout it. Um, at this point, they finally get pulled over by another cop. Um, Again, another... she was going like 110 miles an hour or something stupid. Yeah, but you're in the middle of the desert. I would be too. Like, why Uh, wouldn't I go 110 miles an hour in the middle of fucking nowhere? If I killed a man and I was on the lamb and that paranoid about it, no, I'd be going the speed limit. The speed limit. I mean, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I still probably would be 100. I mean, I drive... Like you're riding dirty. 70, like, in a 35 all the fucking... No, I'm joking. Not, not that crazy, but... I mean, yeah, they're in the middle of the desert, so I, I probably would be a little fast and loose as well. No, I feel like if I was, like... But you're right. Like, if you're on the lamb... I feel like I'd be going to speed Maybe at least 80. Yeah, right. That's, that's reasonable. 80 is more reasonable. It's probably 60... And then you could justify, hey, there ain't nobody out here. Mm-hmm. I can go 10 miles over the yep. limit. Um, but no, we know eventually... But again, okay, so again, 110 in the desert, though, I don't feel like it's a big deal. Like, I feel like even if a cop pulls you over, they're going to give you a ticket, sure. But are they going to make you go sit in their fucking car with sit them? Sit in their front seat, Yeah, too. that was odd. That was weird. Very weird. Um, again, though, it could just plot device for the movie. I don't know if any cop would ever fucking do that. Right. <laughs> like, that would be stupid <laughs> on their part. Like, put them in a unsafe position. Um, knowing there was another person. I don't know. Either way, yeah, it did not make sense to me. But Gina Davis shows up, gun to the face. Yep. Um, he cries like a baby. 
and they put him in the trunk of this car and the whole time I'm thinking I mean you still were basically committing murder because locking anyone in a metal trunk in the middle of the desert seems like a death sentence to me exactly and then later when that guy comes on his bike and then he blows the weed in the hole it was such a weird scene yeah I was like what but obviously he gets the guy like helps him because you do find out um that's kind of how they get to know the area they're in is when the guy finally gets out and reports it right you would think see that's what i'm that's what you would think but then they're always trying to get them when they're calling them and they're trying to trace the call. And they finally do the last time. And I'm like, why do you keep calling these motherfuckers? I don't, that's where there I don't understand There ain't no reason to keep either. calling them. There wasn't. There was no reason. Just a chit-chat? There was literally What's no reason. What's our options now? Okay, how about now? Is it changed now? Like, no. <laughs> it's not changed. Nor will it ever. Maybe she just wanted to get caught. It's what it sounds like. Yeah. Maybe she wanted the run to be done. I don't she know. didn't have any money. Yeah. But, I mean, they robbed the gas station. They had like 300 bucks. Probably. Oh, yeah. There would have been nothing stopping me from getting to Mexico. No, absolutely not. Like, I mean, once we committed the robbery, like, I wouldn't all have bets stopped. Off. Like, yeah. I'm I like, wouldn't have stopped going. Uh, we're going to Mexico. We are joining a cartel, evidently, and we're just going <laughs> to live that life. Right I out. guess. Like, <laughs> it's time for our second half of our life. And here we go. Career criminals. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Time for a change. Um, Here's my midlife crisis. Let's uh, go. <laughs> yeah. So that was the, the very end part. I do feel like, again, it, it, it seemed a little odd for her to keep calling. Like, I just see no point in that. Mm-hmm. She has no connection anymore to do so. To any of those people. Any either. of those people. Yeah. Like, it's not like they weren't holding Jimmy like yeah. or something or like Jimmy's part be... was already done like you never saw him again no but here's the thing that's what I wanted to bring up about him though is because when they depart the last time they see each other you know like he's like oh I won't say anything like whatever you've been into like I'm not gonna say I saw you or nothing right but then later fucking Harvey Keitel shows up and, and he then sings like a bird he just sings like a bird yeah the little canary yeah I'm like Fuck you, Jimmy. <laughs> That's why I think she should have made him go with her. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he could have been more muscle. Yeah, exactly. For protection. Mm-hmm. I'm like, don't send him on his way. You need a man around to fend off the other men's. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd probably be like, um, no, because the money would have already been gone by then. But... Mm. Then you could have got him to rub the shit, and that would have been on him, not you. Right. <laughs> Let him catch those charges. Let him get the dirty work. <laughs> but yeah, so that part also kind of pissed me off. Where I was like, because when I when you're finally getting to the end and all that, and I was like, oh, I was like, Jimmy spoke, like he narked on them. Yeah. <laughs> Snitches get stitches. I Jimmy. know. I couldn't believe it. So yeah, it basically does accumulate, though. Um, Again, though, because their dumbass is calling, which that was the most frustrating part of the movie. And then Brad Pitt has got to be the worst thief in the world because he gets caught left and right. Constantly. He's out and about. He is everywhere. Easy to find. Easy to be seen. Easy to talk to, evidently. (laughs) Everything. He's just easy all around. He's just easy peasy. And, yeah, it culminates with uh, 
them finally being on one of the roads and they're like, oh shit, there's some cops. Did they see us? Of course they saw you. You're in a giant green Thunderbird. Exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a bullet. This is now. where at this point though, once I could understand the first phone call to the cops or to the husband, like, oh, does he know? And the way I do like that way and he's like, darling. And she yeah. like hangs up instantly like he's, the cops are there. He knows. He'd never call me that. So once that happened, I would have been like game over. And then I would have stolen a car Exactly. Got out of the fucking car. Yeah, I would have got rid of the Thunderbird at that point. So we could have kind of at least done that half stretch of whatever state was left. Because when they do that to the cop, instead of going further south, she starts going to the next state. Because she was like, it made more sense to get out of the state. Because we just fucked over the I would have dressed up as a man. So then we would have looked like a couple instead Uh, of two women. (laughs) Something. Throw them off the trail. Anything at that point. <laughs> like, if you're going to go outlaw, I would have been, like, outlaw times 10. You know? Like, yeah. I would have been making those precautions, I feel like, uh, just sooner. Um, so, yeah, that's where you feel like, okay, she did want to get caught. Or she just wanted it to be over with. Yeah. But she didn't want to go to jail, you know? So, yeah, she ends up going off a side road, and that's when the chase. So, again, this movie, I think it was good Ridley Scott did it. Because it's a solid chick flick, but it just proves that chick flicks can have action in them, too. And that women enjoy that action mm-hmm. just as much as men. It's just not overly excessive, and it's when it needs to be. So we had, so we still got explosions. Mm-hmm. We got gun, you know, gunfire, gunfights, and we got car a long-ass car chase, which was a yeah. lot. It was still really well done. Um, and yeah, you get to where they end up at the Grand fucking Canyon. And even they're like, oh my God, are we at the Grand Canyon? (laughs) It's beautiful. It's beautiful. There is a scene though, where you get the intense chase and they kind of go under that bridge and they're able to like get away, lose them for a little while. And there is like, just like a weird, it's not complete silence. There is some kind of music in the background, but it's so soft and well done. And it's just this awkward not awkward, but it's just this, like, intense moment of, like, I think the gravity of the situation. Right. And I feel like it's really done well in that scene because it hits them. And that's when she kind of starts laughing hysterically. It's when Susan Sarandon is kind of, like, smoking and knowing it's kind of the end of the line and, like, what are what now? Um, yeah. And then, again, it ends with them. Um, I like that when she the lights edge. the cigarette for Susan Sarandon. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you. when we used to smoke... <laughs> I've done that so I many mean, times. we've done that so many times for each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, they get you finally get to the precipice, and it's them in the car. And they know there's no way, nowhere to go. And then that's just brought up, why don't we just go? Why don't we keep going? Why don't we just keep going? Why don't we just keep going? And then I love Susan. I was like, you sure? Like... <laughs> Because you feel like in that moment, I feel like that's what she wanted to hear all along. Right. Are you sure? Like, she just didn't know if Thelma wanted to was do 100% it. Was 100% on board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I guess she figured she was either going to die in jail or mm-hmm. die by the cop shooting her. Or even just the thought of their old lives. Like, yeah. even let's just pretend like that... Everything went okay. Everything and, went okay. Yeah. And they, they weren't charged with something. But could you imagine even going back to who you were before? Like After that. That, that yeah. wasn't even a question for them either. Um, so the scene and then they decide they're going to do it. And Susan Sarandon kisses Thelma. That was Susan Sarandon's idea, actually. That wasn't like in the script. She just felt like that's what they would do in, in the, the moment. Of the moment. Yeah. I thought it was so sweet. I know. And like, and then just the hand grip, the scene. <laughs> and they just fucking... 
fly off <laughs> and I still cry. I like know. I do too. <laughs> Same thing. I'm getting emotional got, talking about it now. It still got me. Just the, and they just ride off and you're like, <laughs> like ugly crying afterwards. Yep. And uh, that's Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. We die together. Yes. And all its cinematic glory. It's just a phenomenal movie. Yeah, it It really really is. is. The ultimate friendship. It really, yeah. It really was. And that, in the end, too, like, they both, like, are trying to take responsibility, you know, for it. And then it's just, like... Like I said, the dynamics change. The blame almost kind of gets tossed around at times. But then in the end, they both reach the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's neither one of their fault. And, and to an ex- you know, to that extent. And and really it's just... Circumstances brought them circumstances and then just shitty fucking men. You well, know, yeah. like a lot. <laughs> like, like has, like culminated. Like how all these different, like... Things have let them down in their lives, but they didn't end up letting each other down. Yeah, exactly. And- what a sweet way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I love it. It's a great movie. Um, I mean, it's still a ten out of a ten for me, even with the little things I griped mm-hmm. about. I mean, it's. And I would kill a man for you. I would do definitely. <laughs> I mean, no questions asked. <laughs> I'd just kill a man. It doesn't even have to be for him. <laughs> It's on the bucket list. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid. But yeah, no. Um, 100%. If I ever caught any guy, like, attacking you, it would just be over. Like, <laughs> I would just... Yep. Same. No, I wouldn't. Luckily, we've never been in that specific uh, position. So, um, we'll, we'll find out if it ever happens, I guess. <laughs> like I said, no questions asked. <laughs> Yeah, so that was Thelma and Louise. Um, join us for the next episode of Friendsgiving that will be a little more lighthearted with uh, Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Mm-hmm. Another one that we watched a shit ton out of. Yep. And uh, December, as we have discussed, I we don't really know quite how to, like, we didn't have a fun name necessarily for it, but it's kind of just more of, like, Christmas? Question mark? Movies? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, questionable. Yeah, Christmas questionable. Uh, there we go. Questionable, questionable Christmas, Christmas movies. movies. That's, that'll be what we actually call it. Uh, instead, I was kind of going like Ron Christmas. Burgundy, Anchorman yeah, kind of That's, vibes. that's like, what I was feeling for <laughs> That's too. what I had in my head. Yeah. It's um, hard to convey through text. I yes. Guess. So on the next episode, we'll actually give you the titles we picked out for those. So, time to hit the dusty trail. Until next time. Later, taters. taters.